Welcome to episode 166 of your livestock podcast, Top Lines and Tales. As always, I'd like to do a shout out and thank you to our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. On Top Lines and Tales, we tend normally to be a livestock podcast, and I'm not quite sure my guest is completely a livestock guy this week, but he is a uh, he is a farmer, and also, more to the point, he's a fellow podcaster there. We've got uh, Wallace Curry, originally from the Isle of Arran. Uh, Wallace, uh, welcome to Top Lines and Tales. Thank you for having me, mate. Yeah, I mean, livestock-wise, I don't know if you maybe asked me five five years ago, it might have been my top interest, but uh, life always sways you in fun directions, so no, I'm uh, maybe somewhat away from that now, but yeah. <laughs> Originally, I'd planned to speak to you a few weeks ago when I did a podcast on the Nuffield Scholarship because your name came up as one of this year's Nuffield Scholars. So congratulations on that. But I think we've kind of, when I looked at your life, I thought, hang on, this guy's got a lot more to him than just a Nuffield Scholar. So let's have let's have a rattle there. So uh, yeah, congratulations. Oh, thank you, mate. It's been quite it's been quite something. I mean, I'm sure like yourself, Andy, I assume here, but um, I've always been aware of of Nuffield, and and it was a thing my parents spoke about, and to be part of that sort of what feels like quite an elite crew is is, uh, is, is quite humbling in a way, in fairness. Mm-hmm. I, I applied when I was 41, I think, or 42, and I just missed it. And, and John Scott got mine. I've never forgiven him. And <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, John, <laughs> he knows. And um, But, uh, yeah, I got too old after that and didn't go again. I wish I'd uh, done mine earlier. So let's, we'll, have a, we'll go on to your Nuffield in a minute, uh, uh, Wallace. Let's just sort of talk a little bit about uh, where you've come from and, and your day job now, I think, as a, a college lecturer. So, so how did that get there? Yeah, it's just a bit of a funny story in terms. I mean, probably a wee bit of background. You said I was from Isle of Arran, which is absolutely true. The Arran famous for tourism and whiskey and not for woolen jumpers, um, which can often cause some confusion. Uh, but yeah, from a beef and sheep farm, mum and dad, I mean, if I was to have continued, I'd have been third gen, my dad and his dad again. Um, I am, my first name's actually Colin, so I was the third line of Collins. Um, but yeah, beef and sheep farming, to be honest, as a kid, I mean, just before I jumped on the call with Andy, I was just finishing off watching the WWE Royal Rumble. Wrestling was my thing as a kid, still is to a point. Uh, I didn't think I was ever going to become one. Um, probably had the shape for it with the likes of Big Daddy and that. But anyway, that's a different thing. Um, the farm was never probably what I was really interested in until I was maybe 14, 15, and then started to sort of get that stage, like, oh, geez, I should probably look at what I want to do, you know, and, and agriculture was one that came up in chat. Mum and dad were never never forceful of it, uh, but then chose agriculture to, to go study after after school and probably saw it originally just as a bit of time killing, but done that, fell in love with it in first and second year. Um Worked sort of in all sides of farming, whether that was maybe beef's the only one I really didn't do, dairy, sheep, arable, um, and, and just started to really enjoy it. But I started to really enjoy the networking side, and I probably wasn't aware of that at the time. Um, and I went through my four years of agriculture and then did a master's in, in, in food security, which is obviously very topical with Ukraine, which I guess Ukraine's maybe in your talking point as well. I don't know if you want to talk about going there, but... Um, yeah, after that, I was like, this is interesting, but now I don't really know where I'm going. So I kind of just, I, I trained as a cook uh, through my years at uni and I went back to being a cook for a while and then started doing the job applications. And then suddenly I, I got uh, furloughed during lockdown, started posting some videos of farming. And my now boss basically phoned me and said, seen a few videos of yours on Facebook, you ever consider lecturing? And I was like, Nope, <laughs> not at all. Uh, and he was he was my old lecturer, and I was like, "Look, John, mate, I think you know that's a mistake." And he's like, "No, nah, let's give it a shot." So took that job. It fell through because of COVID. I started cutting grass, 
listening to podcasts when I was cutting grass and uh, thought I'd start my own. But when when that around that time, SRUC got back in touch with me, another position had came up. And then, yeah, in August 2020, I took on a role as an agricultural lecturer at the Barony campus, um, which I'm still doing. But it was it was all online at the start and now it's very much all not online, thankfully. <laughs> OK, yeah, there definitely was a change during the COVID times, wasn't it, for, for college and university? And there's a whole there's a whole generation of university students who went through university for a couple of years without even going out the door and going in the, going in the, in the students' <laughs> union. And re- remind me just where Barony College is. So it's just just about seven miles out of Dumfries, um, so heading Edinburgh way. Uh, yeah, so Dumfries based. Okay, and so you're do you live down? Obviously, you live down that way now. I suppose if you're if you're into the uni every day. Yeah, for the first couple of years, with it all being online, I either lived on Aaron, taught it online, and basically filmed practical things for students to watch um, from the farm. Uh, I then lived in Air for six months, and again, it was still online. And then now, yeah, I've just just bought a flat in Dumfries. Well, a couple of years ago now, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you say you say about the, the lecturing online. Of course, you'd be reinventing the wheel in a case like that. I mean, there'd be no blueprint for what was right and wrong when you're trying to teach people when they've you know, when. As a lot of people found during COVID, I've got friends who teach in COVID and found it hard work, I have to say. My pals are doing teaching this. It was a, it was a damn sight harder putting a, a course together to do it online than it was standing up in front of a class and shooting from the hip. So would the same apply, I guess? It did in a way. It wasn't completely reinventing the wheel for me because I'd never done the normal teaching. <clears throat> so um, it was like taking on a normal job, you know. And uh, yeah, that's just how the job went. And and I think I somewhat thrived in that environment because I like tech. I sort of like that sort of thing. And it gave me quite a good head start. I got to build up probably quite a good portfolio behind myself to prove what I could do. And then coming on to the sort of the well, this is me on campus. I'm like, shit, there's loads of students in front of me. What do I do? Uh, and then, you know, pr- pretty pretty quickly it was fine, in fairness. Um, and I absolutely love that part of the job. It's just talking to students, whether they're 16 or I think the oldest student I've taught was 52. Um, it's just, you, you learn so much from it. So it's a class that I'm teaching, but also everyone's learning. So, uh, yeah, it was a big change, but um, there's a lot of tech out there that allows it to, to be doable. Sure, sure. <coughs> And we'll go on to, to your podcast. As I said, you're a fellow podcaster. Well, I will just ask which came first, the, the lecturing or the podcasting, or were those two simultaneously, maybe? So, I mean, the, the offer of the original job and the podcasting must have been around the same month. Um, what happened was basically I'd started Rural to Kitchen, which is the brand that the podcast is built upon. Um, at, as I was furloughed, mid, I think it was the 12th of April it started. Um and then uh, basically around June time, mum had a, fant- and I make a point of saying mum, not me, had a fantastic polytunnel and I had to sort of cook in a background and I sort of just tied the whole story and talking about agriculture, the importance of buying local and all that sort of stuff. And um, basically someone had said, how do you get into farming? And I was like, geez, like I've, you know, I've, I've been, I'm not officially yet, but I assume heir to a farm I didn't even care about it really at the young young age uh, have grown into really care about it now but I wasn't the person to ask so I basically messaged a guy um, called Flavian Obiero the Kenyan pig farmer quite often on country file these days I think it is um, and wrote a thousand word essay about him I did that for 26 weeks and then I was like I am bored of writing stories let's do the podcast so that was July and I got officially offered the job late July so yeah okay. <laughs> Both are off the same time, and mm-hmm. and I and I, I have listened to a couple yeah. of your podcasts, and they're very good. You do get a very diverse clientele on there, which uh, more so than myself. But say we'll go on to the podcast in a minute. But from your teaching point of view, I'm right in thinking you teach diversification in farming. I mean, that is is that a is that a standard college subject these days? 
Well, it's, it's an interesting one because, I mean, when you say you're an agricultural lecturer, the question is crops or livestock. And in, in fairness, my remit's somewhat out of both of them. I, I teach a wee bit of sort of basic reproductive endocrinology, like the impact of hormones and the female reproductive tract, mainly a little bit of the male. But that's probably my, my main contact with livestock these days. Um, my master's was food security, so I talk a wee bit about global production, some precision agricultural techniques that are used mainly in the crop side, but a little bit in the livestock side. Um, and then, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, diversification and specialised farming systems are... I don't know if you've done a qualification in, in agriculture, Andy, but I've I certainly no done one. Anyway. You're talking to the most unqualified man in the entire world. I'm qualified by talking, bluffing <laughs> my way through just about everything I've ever done there. So uh, I think most people who listen to this podcast will know that, to be fair, but carry on. <laughs> There's there's a hell of a lot more qualifications than the one on paper, and a hell of a lot of them are a lot more important. Um, I think a lot of people put a lot of weight on those college and uni ones, but uh, there, there's there's not as much weight in that someone that's coming from someone that has them and now teaches them. But that, that's a different thing. The way the qualification I done, and in fairness, the way even some of, of our students that are at higher level now done, was very minimal practical, absolutely no form of placement, and just completely like. Assess, assess, assess. I think the HND had 52 assessments in the HNC high 40s. And it was intense. And I remember not really learning. I was learning for the assessment. Whereas now we've moved towards this next gen and here, don't get me wrong, there's teething issues. We have problems that we're fighting through, but that, that's always going to be the issue. I think we've really made a step in the right direction. So much more holistic, practically, uh, there's there's a, pla- a practical requirement of, of 30 skills, first off. So throughout the course of the, the year, we've got two instructors and a few others sort of working on that. Um, we've got a placement that starts the start of next month, so the start of March. We have a four-week and, by extension, of Easter holidays, six-week placement into a farm or agribusiness. Um and then on top of that, the, the assessment is very much less onerous, somewhat larger assessments, um, but down at that sort of early 20s mark. So it's made a really good step in the right direction. And one of those modules, or actually two of those modules, is one is called Diversified Enterprise and Rural Business, and one is called Specialised Farming Systems. And, and my take on that, I've sort of took the lead on those, is basically, look, I could sit in the class and teach you stuff, but what's the point? Let's just go to places. So I've got seven trips booked for different diversified enterprises is basically a farm that now has a separate enterprise either as the main or sole uh, enterprise uh, for the business and specialized farming systems is looking at crop and livestock enterprises away from the conventional so you know uh, dairy sheep and goats or, or that sort of thing so that's that's where that comes in uh, and i really enjoy it it means i get to go in a few wee jaunts and try some ice cream here and there and try buffalo burgers and stuff but it's it's really good to see what's out there and see what's away you know farming's not just what we think of you know so that that's why it is a completely accepted part of the new course so yeah a long answer for for, for what you'd ask but no no absolutely <laughs> brilliant i mean there's a lot of you know, farmers listen to this young farmers as well who all every one of them is looking at a diversification of some sort some of them have tried a few and, and hey, would say fail but tried a few and it wasn't for them other ones have tried a few been very yeah. successful and there's no wrong answer to this is it i mean there must be there must be a few wacky ones out there that maybe you look at that and think no 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 that's never going to work is there or, or, or is everything is anything goes I'm a bit one of those folk that probably almost wants to find those ones because I'm like, I just find it cool. I mean, you look at our Nuffield cohort, Andy, one of the guys, David, is, has a business called Fly to Feed, which is, um, well, I'll probably get the uh, the wrong insect. I can't remember the exact fly, but basically looking at fly as a feed product. And uh, he, I mean, 20 years ago, you'd said that, folk would have thought you were nuts, you know, but it's, it's a fantastic um, feed conversion efficiency. There's a lot of stuff out there that, I mean, 
Steve Mitchell at the Buffalo Farm, which is one of the places we go, we're going there two weeks on Thursday, tried, he looked at alligators, he looked at snakes, he looked at ostriches, you, know, you never know what's going to work, man, and, and there's, there's, there's always something that might just, just be the one you hit the jackpot with, you know. I think Edison said, I didn't, when he said, how, do, how come you failed a thousand times doing your experiments to invent the light bulb, he said, I just, did, I just managed to find 999 ways not to invent the light bulb before I eventually invented it, so there's, there's, no, there's no wrong research at all. <laughs> Well, that's it, that's it. And is there not some disputes as to whether he even invented it or not? I don't even know, I'm not <laughs> that, really up on all that stuff. But. That's another story that him, <laughs> him and Tesla had a big fight over, over I know. But, um, yeah. And he, yes, I think he had a class full of students doing the tests for him, so, so you, you never know there. If, if anybody comes in your class okay. comes up there with, a, with an idea how to make houses out of broken eggs or something, you can claim that and, uh, as, your own, <laughs> as your own idea. <laughs> but it, uh, no, it's fascinating. <laughs> You talk to the likes, you said, of Stevie Mitchell, a classic example, really, of, of the Buffalo. And there's obviously a lot of people nowadays into holiday lets. And I suppose it's got to be a way of seeing what's in your area and what suits your area. I mean, there's, as some would say, there's too many holiday rents out there, maybe too too many uh, um, uh, shepherd's huts and what have you going out there. The, the, the banks get involved in these things and the banks obviously have to have a an understanding of whether somebody's really serious or they're just having a, having a, a strange idea. But uh, some of these things will get overdone fairly soon. And I suppose you've got to have a, a you've got an understanding of that yourself there, uh, Wallace. Well, I think if the diversification thing's an interesting one, I actually done my undergraduate dissertation was on, um, let's see if I remember the title, is on the Isle of Arran is on farm diversification. Uh, I can't remember the exact title, but basically the attitudes of farmers towards on-farm diversification on the Isle of Arran, that's what it was. And it was yeah, written just before Brexit, we knew least. Brexit was coming. I've always been really interested in that sort of um, sort of qualitative side of, you know, opinions and attitudes. It's probably why I have a podcast. I love hearing folks' stories and why they think and how they think. And uh, it was looking at that, it, I, I did that dissertation after Brexit had been voted in, but before really anything had happened. Um, and just looking towards, you know, what do we do without subsidy? And I, I've sort of focused on this a lot and a lot of things, you know, <laughs> we don't know what's coming. We've heard different things, but we really don't know in, you know, in stone what is coming uh, um, Brexit wise. And diversification has got to be a thing to look at. Now, you might be right, there might be too much, but I think the, the person who decides if there's too much holiday homes is the person who's doing it. And if they're making money from it, then fire on, you know, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, but I think we really don't know what's coming, and that's why I was so interested in diversification in any form. Um, because, yeah, farming on its own, unfortunately, as arguably the most important industry in the world, cannot keep itself going. Sure, you're, you're right about the Brexit, and the people voted for it have no idea what they were voting for, but they thought we've got to give it a go. It might be better than the norm. It might not do. But uh, yeah, going back to, to the, the diversification there, there's some... Yeah, but I, I certainly remember my father looking at diversification or, or as a farm, and my grandfather was into strawberries and, and, and berries, all sorts of fruits, and always changed things. And by the time my father came in, it was farming was this is the way you do it, and you don't really move away from that. But it's about the, the money. I always thought the money to bring into farming was, was the education or bringing the money in from the masses who don't really know where the food comes from, don't really understand where the food comes from. And if you bring them onto the farm, we'll get a better understanding. So you're twofold. Gareth Wynne Jones on here, and you do, you're twofold really. If you're educating the public and you're taking a wee bit of money off them for doing that, I mean, that seems to be you know, diversification would be the number one way that most people would look at that, I guess. 
it is. I think you know Gareth. I've had Gareth on the podcast as well. Gareth and I have known each other for, for I think he was like my seventh episode on the interviews before it was actually uh, recorded, just written down. And uh, yeah, he's. I mean, Gareth created a business out of being a an obstructive character. You know, he gets he gets a reaction, and and he's created a. He's. I mean. When Gareth started his YouTube channel, I'm a complete social media nerd. When he started his YouTube channel, he said his goal was to hit 100,000 in the year. And I, I, I said to myself, I, there was no, I wasn't in any way not hoping he would. He's brilliant if he can. I was like, that's just impossible. You can't do that. The content he's creating, that can't happen. And he has done it. He hit a million. You know, he's just hit a million. And what he's doing sells. But I, I just worry of the, not worry, worry is the wrong word, not at all. My my thought on that is the people that are coming to find out are the ones that probably already know a little. You know, you, getting getting those people that, I mean, I know he said a vegan on the farm and whatnot and, and that sort of thing, and it, it went it went well, it went, depending how you want to look at it. But the ones that we're really trying to show what's happening is they're the ones that just aren't going to do that. And that's where, that's where it becomes challenging. You know, I'm really interested in comms and marketing. You mentioned young farmers. As of April, unless something really goes wrong, I'll be the chair of comms and marketing at national level for SEYFC. But getting that sort of story out to the people that matter is difficult. Um, and I don't know how we do that, to be honest. <clears throat> that's exactly the conversation that we had with them. It's easy to preach to, to the converted, but how do you get to those programs, you know, the, the mainstream programs, if you like? And I know we got sort of opinions on things like Country File and what have you. How do we get? I've had this conversation with Cami Wilson, of course. You'll know Cami as well. How, how do we how do we get that message yeah, yeah. Out to the to those people um, who would take that little bit of education from knowing nothing? Just a, a little bit is all they need, but it's very hard to get through to those people. But we do have, and again, I think Gareth agreed with that one. We do have a responsibility, each and every one of us, to to take that education out there if we can. I do, and I think there's, you know, people like Cami and, and you know, Gareth as well, but I, I would say sort of what you're saying there, folk like Cami, folk like Ben Best, who you may or may not know of, of uh, Dalscon Farm, um, I that's what I very much am interested in. I, I wrote a PhD proposal on, um, let me get this right, the potential positive, uh, the potential positive impact of, Social media influence, agric social media agricultural influencers on the sort of agricultural industry in the UK, and it's looking at you know they've broken out into mainstream folk that don't like sheep or don't like farming are watching Ben Best's half hour every morning to put a positive spin on 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 agriculture. And, and you mentioned Countryfile. I've actually interviewed Adam Henson as well, and I had a really good chat with him off camera, and he made a really good point. I. I don't watch Countryfile, not because I don't watch Countryfile, I don't really watch TV, like ever, I'm very boring, I watch and listen to nothing, and no offence Andy, but I haven't listened to this, don't, please don't be offended, um, but <laughs> he said, uh, you know, that's half an hour that six million people are watching every week, and Countryfile you could argue is dialed down, it's whatever, but it's showing the rural sector in a positive space, and that's got to be a good thing, I think it's got to be. I hear what you say, it's dialed down, and there'll be a mix of opinions on here, and uh, could be a lot more with it. I, um, obviously, Scotland's got its landmark, which is you know, it's a little bit more uh, um, agricultural orientated, should I said. But as you said, we shouldn't knock it at the end of the day for every person that sees. I mean, we suppose we've got to look at Jeremy Clarkson. He's probably the man that made the biggest impact in farming of, of, of mm -hmm. everybody, really, just by the pure numbers that, that, that he got through the gate and, and, and telling it what's and all without anybody dumbing it or looking down over his shoulder a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I think he has. I mean, he absolutely has. I absolutely love the guy. I think he's done some fantastic things. Um, my my countryfile comment isn't that 
I think it's perfect. It's just it's a thing that we probably don't really consider. I think we as we as the farming community are expecting. Now I'm, I'm too young to actually remember this, but dad, mum, and dad would say like the farming program. I think we're expecting that, whereas it's it's slightly different. And maybe we need that. And I think this farming life, for example, has went really well up here, and it's done a great job as well. Um, it's it's a very fine line with your when you're dealing with something so controversial as 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 you know the, the perception of animal life and that sort of thing it's a tricky one um and yeah it's an interesting one i think is probably what i really mean yeah and, uh, <clears throat> i've had gareth fielding on, on on my podcast there talking about this farming life about the making of it didn't you and, and the realization that uh that what a what a highly influential job he's doing that i don't think he realized when he took it on that uh yeah, the, the, the expectation on him really to be able to put that uh, put that over to the public in a way that uh, that they would like it and not sort of you know, be turning it off because they got too much gore on the den. Let's just move away from that a little bit. You mentioned uh, young farmers. You're a fairly new, fairly new young farmer. You're you're an old young farmer. I don't know how old you are, but you said you've only recently joined young farmers. How did that work? I am a new and an old young farmer, so I'm I'm 27 for for reference. Uh, just just two weeks ago, so I uh, still get still got the three years left, young farmers. But no, I I went to uni at 17 um, and done done as I said and and had the the uni life you think of when you say uni life. I think it would be fair to say. And uh, with that, I saw no need for young farmers. You know, we had we had folk in the class, David and Craig, most namely David, who actually just won Young Farmer of the Year last year. Um, who, who did everything young farmers and I'm like why like we go to the beach we go to the pub we do everything like we have a good time you know and I generally didn't see it uh, I'd see the point and then um, I around that stage was like well let's try it so I started the Aaron Young Farmers I chaired secretary and treasured it for 18 months and got it sort of going along with others obviously but you know I sort of took the roles and it unfairly fell apart. I had to move away, and, and these things happened. And that was basically my only, my only dalliance with young farmers, if you will, until uh, May twenty twenty two, when um, I'd only really just moved to Dumfries maybe six months prior, and hadn't really got involved. And someone said, "Why don't you come along?" And I was like, "Well, I'd actually went to a concert and went to the dance after." And they're like, "Well, come along." And I was like, "Oh well, I'll give it a shot." Went along to play golf basically one day at a driving range, and they put a, a new member's form in front of me and he was a member and I didn't really think anything of it because I didn't do much. I went to the odd thing, made some made some mates and then and then concert came around and <laughs> for those that know me and for those that don't, there's very little times I'm um, more confident than when I'm on stage. I just feel I love it. It's just home. I love it. And I hadn't done it for ages and uh, yeah, fell in love with it, had some fun, really loved the concert. Um, and sort of had this affinity to Lauren Estill Young Farmers at that point. And with that, um, I was I was a member, and I was a pretty active member coming into the sort of new year, so like a year ago at the minute, and I did some speech making, and that was fine. And then I saw the application for the national committees, and <laughs> I, I was like, I don't, I, I didn't really think of sort of just how big that was in fairness. And I was like, oh, cross, comms and marketing, like I work in, uh, I've, I've got a job in podcasting, you know, and I've got this, uh, I like social media, let's give it a shot. Got in touch and then lo and behold, you know, not only been voted on, but uh, put forward if I would like to be as the vice chair, sort of basically second in line of the committee and running all internal and external relations of young farmers. And I was like, geez, I didn't really expect this. And as it happened, I was like, well, this is, this is, I mean, I'm not an 18 year old that's just jumped into young farmers. I've got experience behind and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's probably my favourite part of Young Farmers, that national level, sort of looking at that, the strategy of what is, as of last week, an organisation with 3,500 members. Um, 
and just meeting so many folk from so many different backgrounds. It's taken me to Shetland. It's taken me to uh, a few shows. Well, I say a few. I think I think I counted recently about seventeen shows. Um, and then I think I've got to mention it's taken me to Tanzania and Rwanda. Um, it's just offered me so many opportunities in such a short period of time and I'm really, really looking forward to April. I'll, I'll be taking over from Laura McCulloch, who's been an absolute saint, um, learning from her, taking over from Laura and uh, seeing what we can do for the next year. And in fairness, two years, because you get an ex-official as, as the ex-chair role in the committee and see what we can sort of take. I've got a few ideas, some pretty big ideas coming. So it's exciting, it's, it's good fun and it's just... I've I've built a career and life off of of people being around people and I absolutely love it. It really has been a fantastic choice for me. <coughs> fantastic, there you are, you young farmers out there. You you non-young farmers out there, you're never too old to join the young farmers because <laughs> you can you can dive straight in the deep end if you want. And you don't need all those years of learning how to drink in 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 young farmers before you got there. So uh, brilliant. And you mentioned Rwanda. I I, I did listen to to a podcast that you done recently, and you talked about your trip to both Rwanda and and Tanzania, and for all. Sounds like you're going there on a skate there. It seems to be a real eye-opener for you. And I think you, you kind of poured your heart out a little bit of the, the, the passionate side of that as well. It was a, was a trip of a lifetime there, uh, Wallace. It was, I think at the time I thought it was a trip of a lifetime, but having fallen in love with travel out there so much, I, I've, there's no doubt in my mind now that I'll be back in both countries. Um, I, I would say I've got friends in both now. And it was, I'd been to Holland and Iceland before August 2023, Um on four day trips during uni and uh, basically <laughs> the end of June came, it was about a week after Highland Show and uh, Jane who's our, our national chair this year and has done a great job, uh, a really good friend of mine, we've got a fantastic relationship, people probably think we hate each other, um, but uh, Jane got in touch with me and she was like, uh, some along the lines of, have you got a passport, um, do you want to come to Rwanda? And I didn't look for my passport. I was quite certain I didn't have a passport. And I was like, yes, I have. Like, this is happening. Um, and then, yeah, we went out to Tanzania to speak at 4-H Global Food Summit. 4-H is basically your... Um, uh, a youth group that's that's global. Uh, it's, there's more there's more 4-H members in the States than there is people in Scotland. Um, <laughs> so that was... Well, I mean, it's 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 not even gen farming in general. FFA, which is Future Farmers of America, is directly farming, hence the name. Um, but 4-H is, is in general. And SAYFC is sort of a cross between the two. <laughs> um, and they do everything, you know, not just not just farm-based. I guess you could say SAYFC does as well. But, I mean, it's, it's it really is everything. Um, and their 30th year anniversary turned out to be when we were there and we had this lovely cake and all that. And it was, it was such a fantastic experience to meet some great folk and, and really changed my life. Like, I, I went to a... a, 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 a we went to um, uh, an orphanage there and it was both the happiest and saddest experience of my entire life. And I struggled to see how that changes. Um, we went to then Rwanda... Um, which were there to sign a, a, a contract between SAYFC, so Scottish Association of Young Farmers Clubs, and then uh, RYAF, which is the Rwandan Youth Agribusiness Forum, um, which actually SAYFC were very integral in forming. Um, and they're similar. There's there's major differences, but there's there's major similarities. But one of the things that I said straight away that I wanted to do and I felt we had to do was go to the Kigali Memorial Museum, the Genocide Memorial. And it I'd said that, you know, the previous experience was the saddest and happiest. This was probably the saddest solitary experience. Um, and just, I mean, for those that know what happened in Rwanda, you know what happened in Rwanda. For those that don't, basically about 14% of their population were killed by their own um, over the sake of a completely stupid segregation of 
we say these people are this and these people are this because of the length of their noses and distance between their chin and nose. Like it was a complete, uh, a horrible thing that happened. And we had to understand that to understand what Rwanda was. And when you think of Rwanda, along with a few Central and Eastern African Af- African countries, I think it's fair for me to assume people don't think of the most developed, it's a term I hate, but the most developed countries in the world. Rwanda was like London with sand. Like um, like Kigali was phenomenally developed. Your the the president Paul Kagame is the most progressive politician I've came across, and just I was I was blown away. But yeah, it changed my life for so many different reasons. And in fairness, probably made me fall in love with with travel without realizing realizing I loved it. Um, and obviously, you mentioned Nuffield at the start, Andy, which is then came on to that. You know, so no, an amazing experience and and one that was completely born from, from the opportunities SAYFC can offer people. Fantastic. And there you go. That, again, everybody, there's, there's opportunities out there. So you mentioned Tanzania as well. Tanzania is a similar country. I mean, they, I think they're about neighbour each other, but they're not the same countries, are they? They, they do neighbour. Um, I actually wrote a post about this, um, and I was somewhat uh, attacked for it, and fair enough, it was just my perception. Uh, I, for anyone that, this is not a hopeless plug, by the way, this is genuinely, if you're interested in travel, I post everything. Every day I'll post a pretty notable amount of what I'm doing travel-wise. Um, so if it is, is of interest, feel free to follow the, the account. Um, but the the post I basically put was, when you look at Tanzania and Rwanda, objectively, Tanzania should be the success story. You know, Rwanda, 29 years ago, well, actually 30 as of April, um, had the genocide we speak of it's completely landlocked it's it's got a tourism sector but it's really been created in the last 15 years its tourism sector was essentially based around the fact they have a gorilla population um whereas you look at tanzania you know genuinely i mean we I, unfortunately we didn't need to do it we didn't get to do it but you look at tanzania i think it's something like 1408 uh, kilometers of coastline um they've got you know a, a thriving a thriving one of one of the most um thriving tourist destinations on the planet in Kilimanjaro and also one of the Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana and Zimbabwe on the list of places for safari, which we were lucky enough to do at Tarangiri. Um, and, and you know, as I've said, not landlocked. And it, they, they just don't. It is not in any way forward. It's It's arguably regressive in that their education system is guilty and admit this. I mean, we heard a few people say this. That they, they don't want to teach the kids too much in case they go too far, and that I mean, that was an open thing that we heard. But I mean, a, a, a phenom- like I mean, I like Tanzania more than Rwanda because I just felt at home. Everyone was lovely. Not that Rwandans weren't, but Tanzanian were. The, it was just so welcoming. I loved it. I always have a massively special place in, in both, but Tanzania in particular. Excellent. <coughs> Excellent. Well, what a great experience. Summer. I've never been to what a fantastic experience to be able to take yeah. that on. And, and more travel, as you said, you've got the, the, the travel bug there. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe go into your podcast in a minute, but then tell us a little bit more about, about what um, the Nuffield, your Nuffield Scholarship holds in store for you with regards to, to getting, on, getting, getting that wanderlust sorted out again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for 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 a bit of a uh, a shocking start, I guess an interesting start. Um, fly to Brazil in about four and a half weeks. Um, so yeah, it's basically for those that don't know what Nuffield is. Nuffield was started in the late forties, right after the war. I think it was nineteen forty seven. Basically, as a fund to allow people to, and at that point, it wasn't quite as extravagant. Don't get me wrong, but travel somewhere to see what's happening to try and bring that back to make agriculture better in this country. Um, 
and now with time, it's became an extremely well sought after, you know, I'm not arguably, it's better. I would say it's more sought after than a PhD in our sector nowadays. Um, and it, what it now has become is very much a global travel scholarship to sort of try and better agriculture in this country. And and I'd seen it and I've, I've, I think people that apply for a Nuffield scholarship in general, you probably don't know until they are successful and you might not even know if they're never successful. Uh, but the day I originally opened the application, I put a post about it <laughs> and uh, I actually found, a, I do a lot of speeches and stuff at different events, found one that I wrote at the end of January saying a couple of weeks ago I started an off-field application. So I, my plan was to share the process. I like sharing the process. I don't care if I fail or succeed in what I'm doing. I just sort of like saying what's happening. And I, then, I, I did do a podcast on the Nuffield when I spoke to you and we spoke to Charlotte Merson and she, she spoke highly of you, but of course all the rest of the people there. But I mean, she runs that, that outfit fairly well, but it's up to everybody to go in there with their own ideas, isn't it? I think it'd be fair to say I'm probably the biggest annoyance for Charlotte. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very organised in my head. Like I know when everything's happening, but I'm terribly, terribly bad at parlaying that to others. I, I'm very aware of this issue. Um, and poor Charlotte, she is. I mean, Charlotte and her team, but Charlotte in particular is an absolute queen. I don't know how. I don't know how she organises things as well, but she's amazing. And she, yeah, she, I mean, she really is. Um, but my plan was uh, originally social media. So I wanted to look at the, basically what I said with that PhD. I then sort of thought that seems a wee bit more phd and I could probably sort of go and travel with that PhD, you know, maybe to California or something like that and try and get a, a, a university to cover that elsewhere. So I thought, well, Nuffield, what, what could I do slightly different? And I, I realised without realising that I'm extremely, extremely interested in my job that I do. You know, education and agriculture, what can I do? So basically wrote into... Um, apply about that and my application was probably subpar because I'm really not great at that side but uh, was offered the interview which was great and I think it's fair to say like the interview side is is more where, where I, I will thrive in fairness and it was a panel of 13 people in the room I think nine of which asked questions um, and uh, my basically four objectives which they asked me in the interview if I had objectives to which I said yes but I didn't and I had to sort of make them up then um, was basically looking at agricultural education on farm, you know, and is training happening, is, is health and safety training, is quad telehandler training happening, the second objective being in schools, so primary and higher age, in high, primary and high school, are they are they teaching food production, you know, I think RET in Scotland and NFU Education do great things in primary schools, and uh, I don't know if you've came across Ian Robertson with Countryside Learning, Andy, he's actually my uncle, I think what they're doing in secondary schools is fantastic. Um, I've just told you about what positives I think we're moving in in the further and higher education sector, uh, which is sort of objective three, but there's so many better things we've got to do. Um, and then fourth was sort of like almost like a cross, a cross country of the UK, I guess, implementation plan when I came home. Um, and that's still not really changed. The original plan was Japan, Singapore, Holland and Switzerland. It was ETH Zurich in Switzerland, one of the top 20 universities in the world and as well as that consistently in the top five agriculture. Holland with Wageningen University, the best ag university consistently. Um, Japan, because they've got arguably the most advanced ag tech university in the world in Kyoto University. And then National University of Singapore in you guessed it, Singapore, because um, they currently set 7% self-sufficiency and are looking at a sort of urban farming plan to get that up to 30% by 2030, which, you know, 340% or whatever is insane. And now that has extended to 
thanks to the support of, of various sponsors. The McRobert Trust is my primary sponsor. Uh, people like Howden have got involved um, to help me as well. And I now plan on doing New Zealand, the States, and arguably Kenya and Ethiopia to, to sort of uh, scratch that African itch again, really. Um, so, yeah, there's it's a fantastic, a fantastic organisation that, as someone very much in its infancy of involvement, I strongly advise they, they give a look at and see what's out there. Um, but uh, make my one piece of advice early on is, you know, I'm sure I'll have more advice in two years' time when I finally submit it, but uh, my one piece of advice is don't do Nuffield for Nuffield, do Nuffield for a topic. You know, don't just do it because you want to do it. You've got to... I went, I went into that interview with absolutely no nerves because I knew whatever they asked me, I either knew or... I would only learn, you know, uh, you need to know it. You need to be interested in it. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's not field. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, certainly commendable. And I can imagine them, them taking you on with that because they know that you will not bring, not just bring that back to show it to Nuffield, but obviously in your, in your professional role at the moment to, uh, the, to be able to take that back into the classroom too. Although I'm not quite sure how you're going to get to be in the classroom if you're going to be traveling for the next couple of years, but I'm sure you've got an understandable boss or an understandable relationship that you can fit all that in there. And, and, and great Boston team, yeah. <laughs> and, and you said with the sponsorship of that, I know you do some some work at the Highland Show. I think we're on the same team as Simon Cousins' team there. I, I do this commentary on the, the beef petal and the sheep there, along with uh, Scotty Brown there at Red Path and Finney McIntyre, Andrew Goldie, a few more of us there. And, and I believe you've been involved in that as well. So you're a man that gets in, in, into all sorts of places. I just sort of like, I mean, I'm not really that busy, so I just sort of have a lot of time to say yes. Like I, I, that's generally how I think a lot of folks say you've got to start saying no and I agree to a point but I only say no to things that I don't want to do I'm really lucky that I'm I'm able to pretty much exclusively say yes to things that I enjoy and, and that <coughs> Simon Cousins is a great guy that, that came about because of my involvement with Young Farmers um, they take on young farmers to do sort of a presentation each um, of whatever topic. And uh, basically, I saw goats wasn't taken. I bloody love goats. And I, I jumped at that opportunity. And uh, I think I would fair to say Simon and, and the team quite liked it. And hopefully, you know, hopefully something more can come of that this year because I really enjoyed it. So, uh, oh, damn. We, yeah. we volunteered Andrew Goldie, go and take that, who's a neighbour of yours, I think. We volunteered Andrew Goldie to take the goat roll on. But <laughs> I think he backed down on that and out red path around a mile. So, so, so well, well picked up the baton there. I think the hand grenade landed firmly in your lap on that one. But, uh, good job. I'm sure we'll get a crack with that. And I know you're into to walking as well and fitness and that sort of thing, but didn't you get into trouble last time you went on a big walk somewhere? Yeah, man, it's, a, it's an interesting one in fairness. It's a really frustrating stage currently. I'm a... Uh, as as I'll tell you, I tore my calf in July with, with a wee bit of spice added to it, but... Um, I'm struggling. I walked a 10k at three o'clock yesterday morning, um, and uh, like I've, it's my first one in some time. I've really struggled to to get into walking. There was about a an August to July period, so essentially a year um, where probably from January to July I was walking 85 kilometers every single week. Um, just I wasn't really a sleeper. Uh, I think it's maybe fair to say now that I've. I've found uh, found a relationship that sleeping's happening a bit more. In fairness, it seems to be more comfortable and no no need to run away. Uh, but yeah, it was it was going out. At, you know, I'd probably stop filming podcasts at maybe say eleven, and then I'd go walk till four, and that sort of three and a half, three and three quarter hours was was a half marathon. So I'd just do that and absolutely loved it, and was was as fit as I've ever been. But yeah, in July. So I came to a crescendo, which was intended but not fully intended because the end part wasn't. But basically. SEYFC I was realising I got a lot from 
RSABI, an organisation I've in no way had anything from, but just see the absolute unending merit of that organisation. I was like, well, Watkins taken me from, in that August period, a bloody low point. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying depression. I think we throw the word around too much, but a rough point, a really rough point where counselling was required and whatnot. And walking was my my therapy, you know, well, along with the six days of therapy. But, um, you know, walking was the therapy that, that got me out of that. And I wanted to give back in some ways. So started a fundraiser for those two to walk around the, the aforementioned home island of Arran, um, which is 56 miles. But I thought loads of folk have done that. Let's do it twice and let's go west one time and then east the other time and then no one can say you went the easy way. Uh, so I thought I'd everything covered and I think in fairness I did. I was uh, I was 21 kilometres in, which is about a seventh of the, the journey, uh, an eighth of the journey, sorry. Um, couldn't My feet weren't in any way affected. Muscles still fine. I mean, I, consist, I could easily walk two and a half marathons without feeling it. I was used to that. And this was about 4.7 um, and 50 hours were a couple of breaks. So it was easy enough. And I was at this 21, sort of 21 kilometres. I know I'm kind of jumping between miles and kilometres. I don't know why I do that, but 21 kilometres is a half marathon. I was at that stage. Oh, it was fine. It was about half eight, maybe quarter past eight at night in the in the middle of July. So very bright. I was wearing a completely red top and red shorts. And uh, here this van sort of came at me and I was like, oh shit, this thing's going to hit me. I better, better jump out the way. And, and my ability to jump out the way was, was somewhat late. Hit off the wheel arch and, and, and bounced off the road. So um, when I landed, I sort of like, I'm not saying I felt like a superhero, by the way, it's to try and give you an idea of how I landed. I sort of landed in that superhero pose. Um, but as I did, subsequently tore my calf so um yeah went into a and e they said this had happened and i never actually went back to doctors which i probably should have but um that happened and basically ever since then i've really struggled really struggled to get back walking that 10k i done um would normally take me pr- pretty much a 55 minute for six 6k so maybe an hour 25 and it took me two hours 30 so i mean it's it's amazing the change is basically an hour over 10k so um yeah, hopefully get back to it soon because it was well, the best thing I ever done. You know, do that. Yeah, yeah. but just mind out for the, for getting run over again. That's not. That's <laughs> not, not any. I mean, it depends where you're walking in the middle of the road. And I'm, I'm taking a piss. I'm sure it was. I'm sure you didn't do it intentionally or do anything no, no. wrong there. But uh, you're lucky to survive that one. I, I guess going on with that. But uh, but you said you're looking to get back towards it. Let's just go on to your podcast because I think you run two. Is it maybe three podcasts you run there, Wallace? You certainly do. You, you've done more episodes than I have. I think I'm on episode, we're on episode 167. I think you've done more than that. And you're, you're, just tell us a bit more about, you mentioned your podcast about being in the kitchen and cooking. So just give us a bit more about your podcast and where to find it. And and and, uh, and some of my listeners want to go away and have, have a listen to you. Yeah, I was, I was just looking at yours. Is yours every Friday and Wednesday? Is that right? No, I'm just once a week, no. but I've actually cut that back to probably once every couple of weeks now. We've cut back. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, so I, I guess you could say I've got three series. It's all in the one place, though. Um, so if, if you're in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, um, as far as I'm aware, it's whatever at this point. Um, if you just type in R2Cast, so the letter R, number two, and then the letter K, asked, um, it'll come up. Um, but it's it's called R2Cast, People in Food and Farming, which is what it begun. But now it's got a slash and it says all in. And, and the reason for that is, was around November time, 2022, so, you know, about 15 months ago, at uh, the point of recording this, Andy, <coughs> I was I was doing pretty good in views, <laughs> to be honest. Very good, actually. And I was like, well, what can I do here? You know, is there a way... 
I can sort of branch out and my method of branching out was um, starting an R2 cast groups podcast so that the, the idea behind that was let's bring on breed societies, charities, young farmers clubs for example um, and that was a good idea. What was the not a good idea was it was bloody difficult to arrange eight people's time together. Um, so I think I managed about four. <laughs> the plan was to do four episodes of the Food and Farm in a month, individual person, maybe a couple, uh, two basically every second Monday night um, releasing a groups and that, that fell by the wayside very quickly. Um, so I was still eager to do something else and I was sitting chatting to someone in the pub who um, had, had a pretty in- interesting career in Australia, just working in oil and mining and stuff like that, some random things and I was like, this is interesting, why don't I just interview anyone? So I was sitting about 95 episodes at that point and I thought, well, 100, I'm going to release something big unfortunately for those that were expecting something entertaining it was a, a podcast about me um, but also a sort of you know let's also try and create uh, something new and that's when they all in began um, and it's became footballers uh, sportsmen uh, sports people sorry travellers whatever I've had the world record holder for the first person to ever go to every country twice uh, a maniac lovely guy but a maniac Um I've had, uh, I don't know if you're a football fan, Andy, but I'm guessing age-wise, if you are, you'll have heard of Stevie Nicol, the right-back for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I had Stevie on last week. Uh, and just really enjoying that side. And I've brought a friend in, Ed Martin, who who was the, the chairperson of Lower Nith, as I mentioned earlier, when, when I invited him on. So now it's uh, six episodes a month of food and farming, either people or groups, and then two two of all in. So it's two every week that's released at the minute. Um, and yeah, the only sign is is to maybe jump that up to 10. Uh, I have no signs going down. I just absolutely love it. I enjoy speaking to folk. I enjoy getting to sort of tell my story to the viewers as I go, just wee tidbits here and there. They would know what I'm doing in life. And I just, I love, I love the opportunity to, I'm maybe not the best example for you, Andy, but you maybe get this as well. Folk that maybe haven't had the chance to tell their story a million times, mm-hmm. I love, I love giving that ability, and and they're the ones that are normally quite excited for the link for it to come out to share with everyone. I absolutely, I get such a kick off of that. It's just, it's a joy to have. You meet some fantastic folk, and I think selfishly, it creates one a pretty decent income stream, and two a very good network in a sector that 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 is built on networking. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of podcasts out there. And to the layman who listens to, there'll be five or six different podcasts that we mentioned. Cammy Wilson's got one now there, and there's, uh, I was along with Jan from the Farmers Weekly one on the weekend, and, and uh, the different ones. Mine slightly different. That I started my podcast from a completely different reason. My, my podcast being that I lost a few pals. One real part of the world, actually, Donald Bigger from Chapelton. There, you probably have known Donald, and uh, um, a few pals who knew. A lot of information, a lot of stories, a lot of older folks had these fantastic stories about what they did when they were younger and all these things. And one by one, they're dying off and those stories were never told. So I, I may be telling those stories to people who are older uh, and, and getting that, capturing that information. And I believe the service that I'm doing is recording that information and it's there, it's there forever. Whereas yours is a little bit more exciting, a lot more exciting, I would say, when you're talking to world-class football players and such like. But you're, you're putting something out there maybe to a hey, you're less than half my age. You're putting those out to a younger audience, and uh, and I think there's room for all of us in this world. I think to say more interesting is very subjective. Um, I think some of the best chats I've ever had is some of the old boys and girls sitting at an auction market here and there, you know. Um, and like you say, having that ability to sort of lock it in and it's there, 
is is amazing. Um, it's a really nice thing to have. You know, I was thinking about it recently. <laughs> I introduced the ex-food and agribusiness policy manager for Rwanda to David, the guy with the insects I mentioned. Um, and normally that's a, David, this is Regis, Regis, this is David. But what I was able to do was say, David, this is Regis, and this is Regis' story. Regis, this is David, and this is David's story. And that's that's a lovely thing to be able to do. And, and you mentioned... I think your your reason for starting is important. I never quite mentioned that, Andy, was was that people asking, how can I get into farming? That every every episode I finish says, where do you see yourself in five years? And if you had any tips or advice for people coming into agriculture, what would they be? And I think that's important. That's my reason. And, and one thing you mentioned was, you mentioned um, Donald Bigger. Never met the man myself, but uh, you we mentioned about the changes that we've got in our course our, our winter show is a livestock and machinery show now at Barony with, with a stock judging as well. The stock judging winner should hopefully go to, well, they are this year going to Paris to compete in a stock judging competition. Um, but the trophy for the livestock champion is called the Donald Bigger Memorial Cup. Um, and that, that was donated by by Jamie and the, and the family. And it's it, it's always nice to sort of speak of Donald's story with Jamie every year. Having never met the guy, and I think... You're you're exactly right. Like someone like that, there is so much wealth of knowledge and entertainment in that brain, and to be able to save that is, is special. So that's nice. It's a really nice reason. Well, there you go. That that puts something between us. And I was fortunate enough to be able to call to call Donald a friend through my connections with Earl Smithfield show going back the way. You sound like a busy man. You've got a lot going on there to fit all this and do a, do a, a, a lecturing job as well there. I think we need to probably leave you get back to that. And if you're recording but eight podcasts a month, you're doing you're doing a lot more than I am. So I better let you get back to, to that, Wallace. I really appreciated having you on here to, to chat to that. I'm sure some of your younger audience will be wondering who this old fart is that's talking to you. And likewise, some of my older audience will be thinking, listen to this young whippersnapper. But there's something for everybody that we can all give, isn't there? No, that's it. That's it. And, and here, like, I've my my podcast isn't all folk under thirty. I've brought a lot of folk on. Don't don't think that's there's no ageism here. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I thank you for for asking me, Andy. So I appreciate that. No, it's brilliant. Well, I wish you the best. I say the Nuffield that we focused a few weeks ago on. I wish you the best with that Nuffield, and make sure you report back to us as well. And I'll keep your link going on our on our Facebook page. We tend not to be so much Instagram or Facebook, so being that older generation. But uh, <laughs> keep, we'll, keep, we'll keep an eye on what you're doing there with that uh, with that Nuffield, and I wish you best of luck with that. Amazing, mate, and keep up the episodes. You're smashing it. <laughs> Thanks. Brilliant job. All the best to speak to you. Cheers, Wallace. Cheers, Andy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, the nation's favourite livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harborough, for their continued support. And uh, go and check out Harborough right now. Check them out on the internet or maybe contact your local representative or even pop down to their store there and have a chat with them and uh, see how Harborough can help you with your livestock nutrition and, of course, their free nutritional advice that they offer out there and the whole range of products they have that can help you improve your livestock business improve your feeding regime improve the quality of your stock all around there so uh, check out Harbro and see how they can help you out and and while you're there looking them up on the internet of course drop into our Top Lines and Tales Facebook community page there where you can uh, check out some other information on this and previous podcasts and there'll be photographs and you can even join in there and have your thing